he's united himself to physical humanity irreversibly. And so, A, there's no greater compliment you can pay the human body than that. But B, it means that there's no aspect of our physicality that, that Jesus can't identify with in some way. Um, he's the savior who is, he's the high priest who is able to sympathize because he, he's walked around the planet in flesh and blood. He still is flesh and blood. Um, so it, it throws that physical aspect of our discipleship into, I think, into beautiful relief. Um, it means that we can relate to him in every aspect of our physicality. We are drastically missing in the Western church, a healthy theology of the body. But our guest today is helping to solve that with his newest book. Welcome back to the All Things All People podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm your host, uh, the leader of All Things All People. And if you don't already know, uh, All Things All People exists to raise up generations of Christian thinkers to understand and reach the world around them with the transformative message of the gospel. And the conversation today centers around just how transformative that gospel can be because it can even impact and revolutionize how we see and use the thing that many of us struggle with the most in one way or another, and that is our physical self, our bodies. Sam Albury, as you're going to hear in not just the conversation, but our intro is a fantastically interesting guy. Um, he is an associate pastor at Emmanuel Nashville. Um, we've had past guest Barnabas Piper on. He's also an associate pastor there. Um, he is an editor and a writer with the Gospel Coalition and has written many books. But the one we're talking about today is what God has to say about our bodies, how the gospel is good news for our physical selves. And I think in the conversation that he and I um, had that I was privileged to have with him, really, you're going to hear maybe even a level of interest and excitement out of me that maybe you don't typically hear, even with the amazing guests that we've had, because this is a topic where that I felt that my conversation with Sam was genuinely like refreshing and awakening for me because as a pastor and having so many people um, who have struggled with sexual sin, who have struggled with eating disorders, who have struggled with things even like with self-image and, and their weight and just like so many things. And these things are, um, are associated even with some of the other topics we've talked about in this show, like mental health anxiety, depression. I mean, we are holistically designed by our creator to not be completely compartmentalized. And in our society, often we think that if we can treat our emotions, if we can treat our brain, then everything else is taken care of. And in, in, in all fairness, it's often vice versa as well, is that many people feel as if we can treat the body, that the mind and the heart uh, and the brain will follow. And what you're going to hear from Sam is that that's just not the case. I mean, we have to realize that God is in it for all of us and every part of us. And so I think you're really going to love this conversation. I hope that you go and check out not just this, this, um, newest book, um, but also his, his past uh, books and his writings with the gospel coalition and the sermons that you can find online through gospel coalition and his work at Emmanuel Nash. Um, but yeah, Sam's awesome. Make sure to go check out all things, 
allthingsallpeople.org. Just recently, I get so many questions about world religions through ATAP. Um, we talk about world religions and Christian thought with a- with ATAP. Um, but um, my degrees and my, my academic studies has been essentially in world religions. And this fall, I'm starting to teach at the college level um, on world religions. And if you follow All Things All People on Instagram, allthings.allpeople, um, a lot of what I talk about is world religions. And so I actually went in and on our website, allthingsallpeople.org, we had a resource that we actually took away for a while. But we've just recently put it back, and it is the World Religions Basics page. And there you can find just basic, like the basic information that you don't probably know about various faith traditions. Um, On there, off the top of my head, I don't have it in front of me, but we have Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, Christianity, because I think a lot of us don't firmly grasp some of the core tenets um, of Orthodox Christianity. Um, And also, when people say, hey, what do Christians believe? You can send your friends there. Um, we have the LDS church, Jehovah's witnesses. Um, and we, we're going to be working throughout the rest of the summer and the fall on adding more and more. And so go check that out. Um, all things, all slash religions. You can actually follow that link in the show notes and go check that out and check out our website, fill out the newsletter form. And I would love to come speak at your church, at your college ministry, your student ministry. So fill out a speaking form there. Um, I'm excited to get to know you and uh, let me know how ATAP can help out your ministry, your church. Um, But, you know, between now and then, what I'd really like for you to do is just sit back and relax and listen to Sam Albury's English voice educate me on what exactly God does have to say about our bodies and how the gospel is good news for all of us and every part of us. So our Christian thinker for this week, Sam Albury. My next guest is a pastor, apologist, and speaker. He has written extensively for numerous organizations, including the Gospel Coalition, Desiring God, and Living Out. He is the author of a number of books, including Is God Anti-Gay? Why Bother with Church? Seven Myths About Singleness, and the forthcoming What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, which, uh, Lord willing, is going to be out June 29th of this year, and so make sure to check out the link for that in the show notes. And it's that book that I'm excited to talk to him today about. And so it's my honor to have on the show today, Mr. Sam Albury. Sam, thank you so much for making time to be on the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've been excited to talk to you and, and been excited to uh, just have the opportunity to make your acquaintance. Um, you, one thing I failed to mention in the introduction, you actually, um, are based out of Emanuel, Nashville, um, which is a church in Nashville, Tennessee, here in the States. Um, so my listeners might already be uh, somewhat perplexed because hearing the English accent and then knowing the Nashville, Tennessee connection, uh, just how different is Nashville, Tennessee than Windsor or uh, London, which, which is where you originate from. Yeah, there are one or two minor differences, as you would imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> more, more trucks. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, more pedal steel guitars, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm from small town England. So this is, I don't know, Nashville's not a big city by American standards, but by, by English standards, it is a big yeah. city, but it's a great place to be. I've, I've loved getting to know it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned to you pre-show, we, we've had Barnabas Piper on the show, who he also is an assistant pastor at Emmanuel Nashville. Has anybody uh, from Nashville introduced you to 
what they call Nashville hot chicken yet. Is oh that- yes, oh yes. I, I in fact I had some Hattie B's yesterday. Oh my goodness! Wow. Um, but I, I went for the mild option. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because you know, I don't have health insurance yet. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. 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 I've I've heard tales of what the hot stuff is like, and uh, uh, yeah. My my first experience with it, I was just telling somebody the story the other day. I I had just gotten back from South Asia, where of course the the temperature of the food is quite hot, yeah. and uh, the manager of the of the restaurant told me I should start with mild. And as an American man, I thought how ridiculous of me to start with the weakest option. And I think that you've made the correct choice to to linger around mild because I was fairly disoriented after after you know eat, eating shouldn't make you dizzy um but nashville hot chicken seems to do that yeah i, I like spicy food i mean i mm-hmm. love thai food um, mm-hmm. but uh there's a level of heat even with nashville hot chicken that you know yeah. visions of the third heaven and all that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah yeah we see that's that's how paul seemed to achieve that vision so um well wonderful so th- i'm so excited for people to to hear about this book that you've written and really your whole body of work, I think is, is something that if somebody's unfamiliar with, they should go check out the notes that where they can find your website and hear some of the things you've said, some of the articles that you've written, like I said, for the gospel coalition and many other uh, respected websites and and places. But um, this, this book, what God has to say about our bodies and the subtitle, how the gospel is good news for our physical selves. Um, when I read that, as somebody who's studied theology and church history, my mind immediately goes to this idea that that Jesus and his contemporaries in the early church had to fight against, which was Gnosticism, um, which was the idea that the body is somehow bad. Um, in asking you what prompted this book, is in your in your estimation, um, as you look at the world that you and I live in today, is there a sense of a new Gnosticism or a new thought system that provoked you to write this book, which seeks to reconcile the Christian worldview of the spirit and the body? Yeah, very much so. Um, I've done a lot of ministry over the last few years in the area of human sexuality, and that's Mm. then spun off into teaching on singleness, teaching on gender, and and that plus just a lot of the issues you face as as a church pastor I began to realize that upstream of so many of these things is what we do with our bodies, mm-hmm. whether our bodies mean anything or not. Mm-hmm. So I figured, well, let's, let's go upstream of all of these things and, and try and, I was going to say, flesh out um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what the Bible has to say about these things. And I think it's, it's very significant that we do live in a culture where there are some sort of quasi-gnostic sort of mm-hmm. tendencies, this idea that the the real me is who I am inside, mm-hmm. who I feel myself to be in, in my kind of heart or whatever. Um, and the body is merely incidental. That is very common now. It's, it's mm-hmm. basically the default setting. Um, mm-hmm. And it's obviously very different to what the, the Bible has to say. So um, there's, a, there's a lot here for us to think about. And the thing I kept coming back to again and again was how actually the gospel's good news for our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what you're alluding to there is, is I've experienced the same thing in pastoring and ministering is that um, so often one of the biggest troubles, especially younger people in our culture are facing right now is the, the quest in some form or fashion to find themselves. Um, or, or of course, now we, we're in the midst of dealing with 
what you might call identity politics or how I identify, whether that be gender, whether that be sexual orientation. Um, what do you think are some of the catalysts uh, that have brought about some of these changes in our culture where this is a prevailing thought, whereas not that it, not that 50 years ago was the good old days um, mm. by any means, but uh, this wasn't part of our lexicon, uh, how I identify what yeah. myself is. And in fact, it's almost um, it can even come out of an Eastern way of thinking, um, you know, out of Buddhism or Hinduism, where the idea of myself is really what matters and the body is just temporary. Where do, where do you think this sprang up in Western culture? Well, I came of age in the 90s and we were running around trying to find ourselves in mm -hmm. the 90s. Um, and that was that was a sort of the key thing. The Truman Show, The Matrix, all mm -hmm. these kind of movies were all about kind of, in some sense, discovering who you were. Uh, the focus now is is very much on expressing yourself and that being a sort of fundamental right and the kind of the highest societal good is that people express themselves and that their expression of whatever that is is affirmed and welcomed by everybody else. Mm. So there has been a, a sort of shift to some extent in that direction. Um, and, you know, Carl Truman talks about this in his his amazing book on the kind of the rise and triumph of the modern self. Mm -hmm. The, the longer term intellectual roots to that, um, mm -hmm. but I think in more recent in more recent years, I've I've felt the change, especially in the last ten years, because yeah. I think that's when identity politics has become more of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, with with all the associated movements with intersectionality, all that kind of stuff, there's a there's a significant focus on. Um, you know, particularly minority groups mm -hmm. having freedom to express themselves. And, you know, a lot of that is, is very good. Mm -hmm. um, but at the flip side is, you know, it has actually a very narrow view of, of who we are as, as human beings. It's a very mm. diminished anthropology um, yeah. because it, it simply reduces us to what we feel we are deep down inside. And that's such a precarious kind of basis for our, yeah. our sense of who we are. Yeah, that's, that's, that's wonderful. And I want to sort of unpack that. One of the first sentiments that you express in the book is, and I, and I think it's so appropriate to start with this way, is you describe what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made by our creator. And something you just said just there is that, in fact, the, the thesis statement to a certain degree that you're proposing in the book is that... Um, and I, I have no other way to describe it other than maybe the what, what might be called the liberal way of looking at it, or maybe just a relativistic way of looking at identity and gender and sexuality. Um, and of course, it goes far beyond that. But you say that that actually can lead us to a more narrow understanding, whereas I think much of society would say, in fact, that's the most open-minded way. Um, on what basis would you make that claim? Because I'm sure that there, there might even be people listening to this show and I'm sure you've had many conversations with people who vehemently disagree with that assessment, mm. um, that in fact, looking at sexuality, identity, and even just in the plainest sense, our bodies um, in that relativistic way is in fact more narrow-minded. How do you go about proposing that? Yeah, it's, it's a delicate area of discussion because mm -hmm. oftentimes people are talking about issues that are very personal and very sensitive to them. Of, of so there's, you know, it's, <laughs> um, these are conversations that need to happen, but need to happen. I think in that context of, 
you know, friendship, relationship, mm. seeking to listen as, as well as we can and hear people out. Um, but I, 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 yeah, I think what I want to show people is our bodies are not accidental and incidental. Mm. And that, that's actually really good to know. Um, they, they're not unintended. They're, they are purposed. <laughs> mm-hmm. God meant for us to be physically here, and he meant for us to be physically here in the bodies that we have, um, mm-hmm. even though they're, they're fallen and broken and limited in lots of ways. I think when it comes to, to sexual identity in particular, and that seems to be the one of the sort of bigger categories of self-expression today, you know, I was thinking about this with a very dear friend of mine just a couple of days ago who, who very much defines himself by his sexuality. And mm-hmm. I, I, my message to him is it is, a, it is a significant aspect of who you are. It is a deeply personal part of your existence. But there's so much more to you than your mm-hmm. sexuality. It really is not the, the kind of center of who you are. Um, it touches on lots of areas of life, so it it feels very significant, understandably. But there's so much more to who we are as as human beings than, you know, what type of person we feel attracted to. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's giving one aspect of our experience kind of star billing. Wow. Um, so, and you know, that there's there's lots of things that that come with that. If if you make that your primary identity, then then basically that has to be going well for your life to be working. Mm. And that then becomes very oppressive because if you're not feeling as though your sexuality is being as freely expressed or as freely fulfilled as you would want, then it's not just, oh, yeah, my sexuality is not going well. If that's your core identity, then you are not going well. Mm. Your whole life is not going well. So it's it's another area where I think that the gospel is is liberating for us because actually it doesn't matter if my sexual desires are going unaddressed. Yeah. Um that is not the way I fulfill my humanity. Mm. There's wow. something so much bigger on offer. Mm-hmm. Um my sense of fulfillment and authenticity and all of those kind of buzzwordy things is not contingent on whether I'm fulfilling my sexual desires. Do you think then uh, listening to everything you just said, and I'm sure that for listeners that some of what you just said was, was a relief to them, whether they're struggling with same sex attraction, struggling in some sense of the word of what their identity is, or like me, they just don't feel equipped to be part of this conversation, um, which is why I think your work is so important. But do you feel in some ways that, the life of a Christian is then to live in a sort of tension because, you know, you have some worldviews like what you and I are talking about now, which seeks to prioritize identity or preference or just in some sense of the fashion self. But then we also have a very pragmatic utilitarianism, if you would, you know, swelling up that some people are completely materialistic in some sense of the word. And it seems like what you're saying in the book is that our spirit and our bodies matter. So what I'm hearing is it's going to be difficult for Christians to participate in this conversation without finding themselves kind of on a razor's edge. Um, Can you kind of speak to that or at least what your experience has been? Because the the book is full of anecdotes of you talking with friends, of you having these experiences. And it seems like you're always pulling somebody else from an extreme to to this position um, 
that Christ has called us to. So what has your experience been with that? Yeah, I, I mean, the way I'm wired is I, I do my best thinking in conversations um, yeah. rather than just sitting in a room on my own or reading. So it's it's those conversations that really help sharpen my own understanding of, of the gospel and how it applies and all those sorts of things. And, you know, it's I'm, I'm no expert on anything, um, but I I love listening to people. And we we mustn't feel as though, well, unless I've got a degree in queer theory i'm not going to be able to engage in this stuff um actually biblical wisdom shows us if we're if we're faithful listeners to people that that actually that's the key thing um so you know if i if i meet someone who maybe identifies as gay or transgender or whatever it might be you know the the first five minutes are not me explaining the gospel to them sure the first hour is me wanting to hear their story because the more I get a sense of where they've come from, how they've got to where they are, the more of an instinct I'll have about where to begin in commending Christ to them. Mm. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of pain behind a lot of these stories, a lot of fears. And that to me often gets to the root of the issue, um, confusion about identity mm-hmm. Um maybe abuse from the past, all these things are areas where actually we have a a patient, tender-hearted saviour to introduce people to. Yeah. Um, and everyone is different. So, you know, you could still do your doctorate in, in queer theory and not necessarily understand the gay person who lives next door because yeah. no one quite behaves in the way all the textbooks say they should. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not to diminish the significance of <laughs> some academic study, but most of the time, on a ground level, it's that listening well, trying to understand mm-hmm. where someone's coming from, them getting to the point where they feel like actually they can trust you, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're you're safe to talk to, yeah. um, that you can disagree with them, and and that's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things, I think, make a make a very significant difference. Yeah. Yeah. And in in, in some respects, I've, I mean, I've spoken with so many apologists and pastors and authors and the best ones say exactly what you just said is that um, you can be right all day long, but if there's no relationship, you know, really what hope is there? And um, the book is tremendous because I feel as if the whole book is written from that perspective. Uh, If somebody were to pick up this book who is uh, struggling with their sexual identity in some respect, I think they're going to feel to a certain degree, like they know you a few chapters in uh, because some of it, so much of it is your own personal experiences, um, your own stories. Um, but you do get to the heart of the matter and there are some um, issues that you deal with uh, quite directly and perhaps no more important than the, the issue of gender identity, which right now in the United States and, and in just in the entire the entirety of the West is becoming more of an, of an issue. Um, and you have a, a, a section of that, which is titled male and femaleness are essential for image bearing. Can you describe what you mean by that statement? Um, because I think that that really gets to the heart of the matter is when we talk about being created and made wonderfully and fearfully in the image of God. And you've already said he didn't do it by accident. He designed us a certain way. So what is it about male and femaleness that you think are essential um, as, as image bearers of God? Yeah, um, it's, it's so foundational. What I'm trying to do is, is kind of step back from all the things we can say about humanity and think okay what are the what are the big 
foundational things the Bible has to say. And as you said, we're, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in God's image. We are, <laughs> we're royalty and we don't even know it. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the tragedy of, of sin. Um, but it's interesting in Genesis 1, 27, where we, we have that sort of first um, teaching on God having created us in his image. He, he foregrounds the fact that we're made as men and women in his image. And so our maleness and femaleness is not, is not incidental. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I say in the book, we're, we're not the only species that is male and female. Right. We are the only species where the maleness and femaleness of us actually means something this important. It is bound up with how we image God. Mm-hmm. Something of how we image God is, comes from the fact that he's made us as, as sexually different um, and with other differences that, that flow from that. And it's something about the, the, the interplay of male and female that helps us image God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that men are half of God's image and women are the other half and right. you stick them together and you get a whole image. It's more that we help each other better image God as men and women by that, mm-hmm. by that interplay. Um, yeah. So it's our maleness and femaleness is that significant, which is why the sort of cultural confusion on this point is, is so tragic because if mm-hmm. we, if we get this wrong, we're getting something deeply foundational about who we are as, as human beings wrong as well. Yeah. And you, um, you seem to draw a line in the sand and I, and I completely agreed with this pointing back towards when the issue of gender identity and transgenderism became at least, um, common in our culture might have been somewhere around the fact when Bruce Jenner became Caitlyn Jenner and he was uh, on the on the cover of a magazine and it became part of the national conversation here in the states and I'm sure all throughout the the world um but you make an analogy in talking about how this issue is dealt with in some camps specifically the 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 LGBTQ um arena where you say you seem to draw an analogy towards colorblindness, which uh, you say people who are colorblind struggle sometimes in some form or fashion to discern between red and green. Um, and their struggle is very real, but that doesn't mean that red and green don't actually exist. Um, and, and, I, and I'm sure if somebody's listening to this and um, of course we're having to be somewhat reductionist because we can't recite the book, but um, you know, what do you what do you mean when you say, um, or, or I guess even a better question would be when you are talking to somebody who is in the midst of gender gender dysmorphia or in some form or fashion they are beginning to struggle with their identity. Um, how do you go about explaining, or at least helping them understand what might be happening in their mind and in their heart? now that they're saying maybe they're a man and they're beginning to question whether or not they're actually in fact a woman um you know as somebody who's been on the the forefront of this conversation for as long as you have um how do you go about that and 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 i'm sure you wouldn't equate it to colorblindness when you talk to somebody uh (laughs) um as you had in the book but but yeah how does that conversation go yeah and again it will depend a lot on that particular person of course a lot of things that are going to be part of their story. Um, and you're right, I won't, I won't launch in with that colorblindness <laughs> yeah, analogy. That would that probably point. be a bad start, yeah. Um, yeah. That that analogy is more how I try and get my own thinking mm-hmm. clear on this. Yeah. Um, but I think I'd want to 
Well, there are lots of things I'd want to say to to such a person. I'd, I hope first and foremost I'd I'd be sympathetic to their to their pain mm. and their confusion. Um, but I, I think I'd also just want to to say to them that if there are some if there are some aspects of their biology that really cannot be overcome, I mean mm-hmm. you can add and subtract bits here and there, but you can't fundamentally overturn the fact that your bo- your body believes itself to be male or female, mm-hmm. um, and therefore you you will only ultimately be going against the grain of your physicality mm-hmm. um, by pursuing a gender identity that that is not one that is based on your biology. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that to me is a path into greater pain, not lesser pain. You may be able to have an appearance that you feel better fits you, but ultimately that appearance is, comes at the cost of so many other things. Um, one of the things I try and explain just briefly in the book is how, you know, all of us experience some form of brokenness in our bodies. Our, our bodies are part of the creation that's been subjected to frustration um, so I never want someone to feel like they're a freak for, for wrestling with whatever it is they're wrestling with. And we know as, as Christians that the answer to what is wrong with our bodies is ultimately going to be found in, in Christ having his own body broken for us. Um, Colossians 1 says God has reconciled us through Christ's physical body. And we will never have peace with our own bodies if we're trying to fix things ourselves, we, we cannot be our own redeemer ever, whether it's our spiritual woes or our physical woes, it has to come through Christ himself. I, for, for many of our friends who, who wrestle with gender identity in this way, there is no way forward that doesn't involve great pain. But my conviction is there will be greater pain apart from Christ than with him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we would say the same of many other things that people have as, as chronic afflictions. Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot to say on all of these things. And, yeah. and again, we want to be very tender towards mm-hmm. people. I, I keep coming back to the, that just beautiful truth that Jesus does not break a bruised reed. And however vulnerable, however wounded, however hurt somebody is even however confused they are he's he is going to be safe for them in that sense he's not going to he's not going to crush them yeah he's not going to just go along with what they're thinking mm-hmm. and it's interesting I, I mentioned in how in matthew 19 you you have in the space of a few verses jesus reaffirming the fact that god has made us male and female mm-hmm. and then saying some are born eunuchs in other words there's sometimes a a confusion even to our anatomical, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, again, I think speaks more into the intersex condition than it does to gender dysphoria, but mm-hmm. at least alerts us to the fact that our experience of maleness and females is not necessarily going to be straightforward in a fallen world. Yeah. And we, we don't use that as an excuse to eradicate the concept yeah. of maleness and femaleness. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> But it should mean that as Christians, we don't overlook those complexities and those pains that people might mm-hmm. have to go through. Yeah. And, you know, the whole the whole book and, and most of your work is um, is helping people 
whether no matter what part of this conversation they they find themselves in, find the answers in the person of Jesus. And, um, you know, you allude to it so well in that, in what you just said, but, um, so much of what we might see from maybe the LGBTQ movement, I had somebody send me yesterday, uh, something that was somehow explaining the particular Greek words to say that they, they don't mean what we think they mean. And, and it's a very, uh, confusing conversation when we begin to get to that level. But it seems so often that people love Jesus's inclusiveness. Um, but as you just said, uh, we seem to forget that the, he's not going to just affirm what we're struggling with. In fact, he he does demand repentance and in, in all of these mm-hmm. things. Um, in today's world, it seems as if Jesus is, he should be more of a signpost than ever that the person who is struggling um, in these ways has hope because Christ himself has suffered. But it seems more than ever that um, to people who've never been in church or whether they have been and they've experienced hurt, that you can't be inclusive and call for repentance at the same time. Um how can how can people like you and myself go about explaining Jesus better that we don't find ourselves, you know, saying, "Well, your red and green is is your red and green," or maybe yeah. more quite literally, like your truth is your truth, um, but in fact, saying Jesus is is welcome and open to all, but He does require things of us. How can we better show that Jesus to the world that needs Him so badly? Yeah, there's there's lots of things on that. It's so important. I think one of the most obvious things is that we're not underplaying the cost of discipleship and the need for repentance for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've seen churches where the the necessity of repentance is foregrounded when it comes to LGBT people, mm-hmm. um, and yet sex before marriage, yeah, adultery all get a pass, and so mm-hmm. it, it then looks cruel and unusual that you. <laughs> And so if we neglect the cost of discipleship for every Christian, then it will look Hmm. unfair when we suddenly apply it to one particular group. So we want to show the universality of repentance. Hmm. Um, I keep coming back to Mark 8.34, you know, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Um, Hmm. There is, there is no, no one gets let off the hook of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you don't have to wrestle with gender identity. You don't have to have, um, you know, same-sex attraction or, mm-hmm. or any of those things to need to deny yourself and take up your cross. Yeah. yeah. So the, the bad news to the progressives is that Jesus is not affirming. Mm-hmm. And yet the bad news for non-progressives is he's non-affirming of all of us. Because all of us have a self that needs to be denied. Mm. Um, And I think leveling the playing field like that helps people not feel as though they're being singled out and treated differently. Yeah. And similarly, if, if there's no good news about repentance, then there's, there's a movement in the UK. I don't know if it's in the U S or not called the inclusive church movement. And again, it's, it's a kind of progressive. Yeah. Some form or fashion of it. Yeah. Yeah. My beef with the inclusive church movement is if you're not calling people to repentance, you're excluding them from the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so the inclusive church is not being inclusive enough mm-hmm. because it's not including everyone on the call of Jesus to repent and believe. 
That call is given to every single one of us. If you say to one group of people, repentance isn't for you, you are excluding them from Christ, not including them. Mm -hmm. You're including them to something else, but not to the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think if we can, if we can make more visible the cost of discipleship for every believer, it will help us enormously. Yeah. I I think that, I've never put it, I've never heard it put quite that way, but I do think that you're onto something there that much of the problem the church has faced and is facing in communicating this gospel to um, many communities. We're, we're talking exclusively about LGBTQ issues, but th- this really is, can be brought into an, a, a conversation on race and conversation about how just minorities in general are treated. But um, the, the, the universality of repentance, I like the, the phrasing, um, is that so much sin is left unchecked in many of our churches, but when someone's sin is visible, we, we demand repentance before they're welcome in the door. Um, in the book, you spend a lot of the second half of the book talking about um, the work of Christ, the person of Jesus, um, and, and especially the incarnation. And... <clears throat> For, in your opinion, um, what hope is it that what let's, as we bring it back, maybe somebody's struggling with gender dysphoria, but maybe they're struggling with an eating disorder. Maybe they're struggling with um, you talk about body shame in the book, um, all, all sorts of many issues. What hope is it that Christ's incarnation gives us as Christians in developing a holistic view of of our spiritual self, but then also our bodily self. Well, the fact that Christ became flesh is, is such an obvious part of the Christian creed that we, we kind of, we're so familiar with it. We, we mm-hmm. don't notice what we're actually saying that mm-hmm. he's not just tried on humanity just to see what it feels like, just as a, a sort of thought experiment. Um, mm-hmm. He's united himself to physical humanity irreversibly. Mm-hmm. And so, A, there's no greater compliment you can pay the human body than that. <laughs> yeah. But B, it means that there's no aspect of our physicality that, that Jesus can't identify with in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the savior who is, he's the high priest who is able to sympathize because he, he's walked around the planet in flesh and blood he still is flesh and blood. Um, so it, it throws that physical aspect of our discipleship into, I think, into beautiful relief. Um, it means that we can relate to him in every aspect of our physicality. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is, he calls us now his brothers. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he stepped into our humanity so that we can be lifted up into his, you know, his family. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the most beautiful things that, that struck me working on the book was how if our bodies belong to Jesus, then he is the only one our bodies actually need to please. Mm-hmm. And the body that pleases Jesus is not the body that pleases our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the body that pleases Jesus is the body that is, is consecrated to him. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul tells us in Romans 6 to offer the members of our flesh as instruments of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And that means it doesn't matter what you, the members of your flesh look like. Yeah. Uh, they can be offered to God and pleasing to him through that offering. Um, yeah. 
you may not have bulging biceps, but you can still offer your your arms to God mm-hmm. and then yeah. be pleasing to him and, and yeah. so on. So mm. that I think gives, just dignifies every single one of us. And in a context where, you know, even and perhaps especially among men, there's more physical insecurity than there's been in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, these things actually matter greatly. Jesus is a far better master Mm-hmm. of our bodies than our culture is is ever going to be. Yeah. In a sense, it's almost, you know, when we think about the incarnation, <clears throat> um, you know, Jesus took on the thing that we most hate about ourselves that like, you, like you're, you're seeming to continually play on is through the book is that our bodies are not bad. Our bodies are not bad, but throughout human history in some form or fashion, most of the human established philosophies have in some sense said our bodies are in fact bad and we need to purify them. We need to get away from them. And the incarnation says he took on the thing that we hate most about ourselves and plagues us the most. Um, And now you do a tremendous job in the book. And man, if, if somebody hasn't been convinced to buy this book, go, they need to, (laughs) they need to do it. But um, is discussing when the Bible says that now our bodies are a temple specifically a temple for the Holy spirit. And in, in Western culture, um, you know, we don't have, at least in non-Christian circles, we or in Christian circles. We don't have the understanding of temples that, um, Jesus would have had a first century Jew and obviously before him. Um, and then even many non-Christians today have, um, but what, what significance is it in this conversation that our body is a temple for the Holy spirit and what, um, you know, what consequence is that to us when we're developing a biblical understanding of what God has to say about our bodies? Yeah, there's, there's lots to say on that. I mean, the most immediate thing that springs to mind in the context of what you've just said is that we, we mustn't hate what God loves. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if God is pleased to dwell within our bodies, um, that, that makes our bodies a form of holy ground. Um, <laughs> If, it, if it's not beneath him to dwell within us, then we, we mustn't loathe our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it means that we have a, a closeness with God that our Jewish friends could only dream of. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, I, I mentioned in the book visiting Jerusalem and the, the the Western Wall of the Temple there, and and seeing these Jewish men praying, weeping, mm-hmm. um, lamenting what has been lost to them, and just this absurd realization came to me that my body is more of a temple than this building ever was and ever will be, and it sounds absurd, but it. Actually, what Paul says in First Corinthians six: we, we, "You are a temple of the Holy Spirit." Um, I have in my flesh what they are grieving the loss of in in real estate, and they could have in the flesh wow. if they knew Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's another reminder to us of of the grace of God, because it's not that well if you. You know, if you if you go on this this diet or that diet, if you go on this exercise plan, get yourself in shape, then God might come and dwell within you. Mm-hmm. 
God just comes and dwells within us anyway. Yeah. Um, he doesn't wait for our, us to be physically worthy of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, we, we offer our bodies to him in grateful response. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's so significant that because the, the flip side of some people thinking the body is incidental is a whole other group of people who feel as though the, the body is their identity and mm-hmm. they're justified by the condition of their body. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's easy for some people to feel as though, well, as long as I'm healthy and have a great looking body, life is okay and I can face the universe. Mm-hmm. And again, we we don't have a God who views us like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is such a, again, a very precarious, unstable mm-hmm. thing to put your faith in anyway. It just takes one, one accident, uh, one change in your metabolism during your 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 twenties, uh, yeah. you know, things start <laughs> pointing in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it all goes to pot eventually. Yeah. Um, so if that's where your justification is, then your justification is, is very, very fleeting. Yeah. So just to know that we can physically please our creator without having rock hard abs. That's, <laughs> that's good news for me. Yeah. That's very good news for me. Um, before I before I let you go, I know that often when 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 authors start writing a book, is that one of the first questions that they force themselves to answer in some respect is, who is this book for, and you know what am I hoping happens for the person that reads it, and um, I guess just maybe the most important question for me to ask you, not just about this book, but because this book is in a sense. Um, a reflection of the ministry that you've been doing for the last few years um, and all of the other articles you've been writing. It doesn't, it's not completely inclusive of everything, but um, you know, who, who are you hoping reads this book the most and what are you hoping that they walk away from it with? Yeah. Thank you. I, I mean, I, having been a, been a pastoral ministry for nearly 20 years now, I I'm writing books for the people that I'm, I'm serving. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking of my own church family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want this book to help Christians think through an area of a significant area of, of Christian truth that is often overlooked, undertaught, neglected, mm-hmm. and yet which is so significant to us um, mm-hmm. in our own discipleship and then in our own relating to culture as well. So I hope it will help equip Christians to better engage in some of these issues that we're, we're facing culturally. But more than that, I hope it will deepen their, their joy in Christ. Um, mm-hmm. the, the gospel is good news for our bodies mm-hmm. and our bodies need good news right now. So <laughs> yeah, I hope particularly Christians who are confused, perplexed, self-loathing, mm-hmm. insecure, which is virtually all of us to some degree or another <laughs> yeah but I, I hope it will be a comfort as well as as just giving people a, a more healthy framework to think about these things yeah well i think that it does exactly that it was a joy to read and it was an even more of a joy to hear you talk about it and get the opportunity to talk to you about it um for listeners um please go um pre-order the book. Uh, sometimes the way these things work is companies like Amazon leak them out. So maybe you can even get a copy before June 29th, but go um, purchase what God has to say about our bodies, how the gospel is good news for our physical selves by 
uh, by you, Sam Alberry. So Sam, thank you so much for making time. This was a tremendous benefit to me just as a believer, as a fellow brother and as a pastor. So thank you so much. And I'm excited to see what God does with the book. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I've enjoyed talking with you.